Welcome. When unbelievers hear that you're praying to God for help, I wonder what response you get. For many of them, it might be the response, why should God help you if you're a sinner like everyone else? Well, in today's Psalm, Psalm 25, David gives plenty of reasons why he should pray to God, even though, as he says in verse 11, his iniquity, his sins, his wrong deeds are great. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England and I present these talks on how to understand the King James Bible using the Psalms and looking through them verse by verse and word by word. Psalm 25 is an interesting psalm. It's one of about a dozen passages of the scripture that are arranged alphabetically. What I mean by that is there's 22 verses and there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And in theory, at least, each verse in turn begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I say in theory because actually most of the passages that are alphabetical in the Bible are not exactly organised like that. A couple of the letters might be the wrong way round. Or like in Psalm 25, there might be a letter missing. And at the end, the last verse repeats one of the letters we've already had. Why should that be? Well, we don't really understand, but we can see that it's deliberate. Because it happens so many times, it must be part of the poetic style which David was following as he wrote this psalm, that he shouldn't do it perfectly. And maybe that's a word picture for his own life and his own attitudes as he writes this psalm, because so often he's aware of his sins. He's aware of the wrong things that he's done against God and he's asking God to forgive him. No, he's not perfect, but he can see the way that God has set before him, just like he can see the alphabet step by step, a letter at a time. And so in that way, he composes his psalm. First one, uh, the heading is a psalm of David, just showing David's the author. And then verse one continues, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And that's where the King James Bible splits the verses. But if you look at he the Hebrew, you actually find that the next three words of verse two are part of that first verse. So let's try reading the English like that. And to thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, O my God. So David lifts up his soul to God. In other words, he presents before God his soul. What's his soul? The life that's in him. He offers the life that's in him to God. In other words, he's not depending on himself anymore for looking after his own life. No, his life belongs to God and he presents it before God. He gives it to God because it's on God that he depends. Verse 2. I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not 
mine enemies triumph over me. In other words, God, he prays, I've got many troubles. I've got many troubles and my enemies want to make me ashamed. They want me to see the total failure of my life and my relationship with you. They want to see the total failure of the promises that you, God, have made to me. But God, for the fulfilment of those prophecies, to do the things that you want me to do in life, I can't achieve that by myself. So instead, I trust in thee. I'm trusting in God to do these things in my life. And I pray, God, that you will not let mine enemies triumph over me. Don't let those who want to to see the defeat of my plans, who want to ruin my soul, who want to send me to death and to hell, let them not succeed. May they be defeated in this evil plan. And it's not just me I pray for, David says. I pray for all those who wait for God to help them, who, like me, are waiting for God to act powerfully on their behalf. I pray in verse 3, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. No, don't let any of your people, however weak they are, however unsure they are, let none of them suffer defeat. God, you're working in your lives and the God who has begun his work in a person's life is certainly able to complete it. So don't let them be ashamed. Don't let them be defeated. Let them know that God is on their side. Rather, let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. David prays against his enemies here. He's already prayed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. And now he says, let them be ashamed. Just as I pray that God's people will not see the defeat of God's plans for their life, so may the people, the proud enemies who depend on themselves, let them be ashamed. Let them see the defeat of their cruel and evil plans. Let them see that God has won the victory because these people, these evil people, transgress without cause. To transgress means to do wrong things. And the fact that they transgress without cause makes their evil acts even worse. These people are doing these evil things and they're doing them perfectly deliberately. They're doing them on purpose. No one's provoked them. No one's stirred them up to do these things. They didn't have pressure on them that they were trying to escape from. No, they were doing these evil things deliberately. They'd made a plan and they'd made that plan to please themselves and to make God's people suffer. So let them be ashamed. Let them see the defeat of that plan. But for me, David says, what I'm going to pray in verse 4 about me is, God, that you would shew me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. The old word shew, we now say show. So we would say, show me your ways, O Lord. God, I want to live in your way. I've had enough living in my own way. 
I've tried to go my own way. I've done lots of wrong things. But now I desire to follow in your ways, in the ways that you've set down for me, because your ways are perfect and right and true. Teach me thy paths. Teach me the route which I should go on in my journey through life. It's as if my life is a journey. I'm going on a walk. And I'm tempted so often to walk off, to wander onto some comfortable, wide, easy path. But that is the path of sin. You have provided the path for me to go through life. And it's a straight and narrow way that Jesus spoke about. So if I'm to go that way, I need someone to teach me the way in which to go. And who better to ask than God himself to teach me thy paths. Verse 5, lead me in thy truth and teach me. What is God's paths? What is God's way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. It is by truth that we should live. You notice how evil plans are often carried out by deceit, by lies, by wicked schemes, by the opposite of the truth. And so when David wants to go God's way, he prays, lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Salvation means rescue and safety. If God is the God of David's salvation, David is saying, God, I want you to rescue me. I want you to bring me to a place of safety in serving you and ultimately to bring me to that place of safety with you forever in heaven and in the new Jerusalem. You are the God of my salvation. You are the God who rescues me. You are the God who brings me to a place of safety. And that's why on thee do I wait all the day. That's why I constantly wait for you to act in my life. And then he asks God in verse 6 to remember. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. O God, remember these things. Remember in the Bible seems to have a much more active meaning than just bringing something to your mind. When God remembers something, God acts and he acts powerfully. He has thought to act in view of his tender mercies, his great kindness and his loving kindness, his goodness to his people. Remember thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness. God, I'm depending upon your character. I've seen my own character is weak. I've seen my failings. I've seen my sins, my wrongdoings. But your perfect character, your mercy, your kindness, they have been ever of old. You've always been a God of mercy. You've always been a God of loving kindness. So remember now, O oh Lord, remember now that I'm in such difficulty with my enemies attacking me and looking like they'll succeed. Remember your mercy and your kindness, because then you will act on my behalf. But Lord, if I must ask you to remember your character 
I must ask you not to remember my character, not to remember it so as to punish me, for I am guilty of so many things. Verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. God, I'm praying that you won't remember my sins, that you won't punish my evil deeds, but that you'll forgive me. And why do I pray that you'll forgive me? I give two reasons, your mercy and your goodness. God, you are the God who forgives because you are the God of mercy. You are the God of goodness. You are the God who in Jesus Christ took the punishment for my evil deeds, my sins, my transgressions upon yourself on the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He took upon himself our sins so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have a right relationship with God. David finishes here the section which is prayer and he now starts speaking about the goodness of God and the reasons for his prayer. So that begins with verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. I'm a sinner, I've confessed my sins in verse 7 and my transgressions too. How can I know that God will help me? How can I know that God will teach me the way that he wants me to live? Well, because good and upright is the Lord. God is a perfect God. And so if he is a perfect God, then he desires people to live in the way that pleases him. And how can they please him? Unless he teaches them the way he wants them to live. And so that's David's first reason for his prayer, because God is good and upright and will therefore teach sinners, including David himself. And then he gives another reason, verse 9, why he knows that God will answer his prayer and will teach him. The meek will he guide in judgment and the meek will he teach his way. The meek the poor, the needy, those who are not reliant on themselves and their own greatness, but who turn over to God and are reliant on God. Elsewhere we call them the humble, the lowly. These are the people who trust in God. David said in verse 2, Oh my God, I trust in thee. These people trust in God and God will guide them in judgment, in right decisions. And he would teach them to do what he wants. He would teach them his way. Verse 10 speaks about the paths of the Lord. It's not speaking so much about the way that God wants his people to live, but the way that God himself lives. Let's listen to it. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. All the paths of the Lord, everything that God does is full of 
mercy, his great kindness and truth. He never lies. We can always rely on him. And so we can depend on him if we are such as keep his covenant. The people who live by God's covenant. His relationship that he's established with his people Israel. And God's people consider that covenant precious, like a jewel or a precious stone. That's why they keep it. They keep it precious. It's precious to them, God's covenant, God's testimonies, the evidence that God has placed among them of his relationship with his people. And to those people to whom God's covenant and his testimonies are precious, well, God acts in mercy, he forgives their sins, and he acts in truth and faithfulness towards them. He looks after them. What a good God we have. David returns to prayer for just one verse now, verse 11, in the middle of the psalm. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. God, uh, I confess before you the greatness of my sins. I've done so many things that are wrong, things that I ought to have known were wrong, things that were even worse because I did them deliberately. Yet, God, I'm asking you to forgive me, not because I've done anything to deserve it, not because I am some great, important person who you must respect. I am not. I ask you to forgive me. For thy name's sake. The name of God in the Bible speaks especially of the character of God. The God who is a just judge. The God who does punish sin, but who desires so much more. To forgive his people. To cleanse them from their sins. And when they confess their sins to God, when they humbly turn to him, then God, for his own character's sake, for his own name's sake, is the God who forgives them. Verse 12, David turns away from prayer again to explain his prayer, explain why he's praying these things. What man is he, he says, that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. What man is he that feareth the Lord? To fear nowadays means to be afraid. But in the Bible, it seems to mean much more to greatly respect God. If you respect God properly, then you are one of God's people. Then you are one of those who God will teach in the way that God will choose. And God has good things for you. Verse 13. His soul shall dwell at ease. We've spoken about the soul before, the inner life. And sometimes we say our soul is troubled, meaning that we're greatly disturbed in ourselves. But no, the person who truly respects God, the person who truly depends on God, isn't greatly troubled in himself. There might be troubles all round him, and sometimes there are troubles all round him. Sometimes he's in the greatest danger, but still, as he respects God, 
His soul dwells at ease. He is at ease within himself. He knows that God is looking after him. And though dangers are on every side, yet he is trusting God. He is thinking about God. He is not thinking about those dangers. He fears God more than he fears his enemies. He fears or respects God more than he respects or fears the troubles that are against him. And the person who serves God, the person who respects God, it says, his seed shall inherit the earth. Seed. That's the word the Bible uses to mean descendants, future members of his family. And some of you will use that as a prayer for your own children. His seed shall inherit the earth. God wants to work in the lives of your children if you serve God. But maybe David had more in mind the seed of the righteous person. In other words, future people who are righteous and will serve God, their seed shall inherit the earth. Inherit means receive it as their possession. Yes, the time is coming when King Messiah will rule over all nations. And then this promise will be fulfilled because it will be righteous people. It will be God's people. It will be God's meek people, people who respect him, who receive the earth as their possession and who live in the earth under the rule of King Messiah. Because who are God's people? Who are God's friends, God's trusted friends? It's about them that we read in verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. So the secret of the Lord, those God shares his inner thoughts with, his secrets with. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a close friend with whom I I tell everything. And maybe you have a friend or friends like that who you don't keep anything secret from them. Well, God has friends like that too. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Those who God shares even secret things with are those who fear God, those who respect God. They are his people. They are his friends. And God is working in their lives to bring them, to make them better, to make them more like his son. And he will show them his covenant. What is this secret thing that God is sharing with his people, with his friends, with those who respect him? It's his covenant. It's the relationship that he has with them. He's making them more and more aware that they are his children. And so David claims this promise for himself. He wants God to show him his God's covenant. So he respects God. He looks to God. And when he is in trouble, he says, verse 15, Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Well, I have nets in my garden, and the nets are to keep the birds away from my 
fruit plants and my vegetables. But uh, in order to put those nets over my fruit plants and my vegetables, I have to spread them out. And if I make the mistake of walking over them, I've got to be very careful that I don't trip up. Well, David's nets were not for catching birds or preventing birds from eating his crops. No, these nets were nets spread by an enemy. They were intended to trip him up, to catch him by the feet. David is probably thinking here more like uh, about nets which are intended for catching birds. And when he says, God shall pluck his feet out of the net, he means that, David means that his enemies are out to trap him. They're trying to trap him by any method. But like a bird being rescued from a net that has caught it, God will set him free. And so he declares, mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. I'm looking at God. I'm looking up towards heaven, looking in prayer, looking in my requests, looking for God to help me. And with that thought, it's appropriate that David should finish his psalm with a series of with more prayers. Just like he began it with prayer, he finishes with prayer. And it's prayers about the greatness of his troubles. Verse 16, turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. Verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring me out of my distresses. And verse 18, Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. So we see here a lot of different ways in which David describes his troubles. He's desolate, he's afflicted, the troubles of his heart are enlarged, his distresses, his affliction and his pain, all different sorts of words to describe someone in great trouble. But at the beginning of that, he declares that the answer is simply when God turns to him. He's asking God to turn to him and to help him and to have mercy upon him. Please help me, God. I've got so many troubles. I can describe them in so many different ways. And the greatest of these troubles is that I've done wrong things against God. So David concludes his list of troubles at the end of verse 18 with, forgive all my sins. Because God, when you forgive me, when you've forgiven me, then I know that you are for me. I know that however long my troubles go on, however great my troubles are, that you need only to turn to me, verse 16, and then I will be freed from these troubles. God, you're a great God. You know my troubles. You are ready and willing to help me. Verse 19, consider mine enemies. That word consider means think about. But David is praying much more than that God just thinks about his enemies. David is praying that God will act against his enemies. And if they will not turn back to God, then he needs God to act firmly against them and to act in judgment against them. For they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. God, 
I'm surrounded by people who hate me completely. But if you just think about my enemies, then judgment will happen against them and you will rescue me. Verse 20. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Deliver me means rescue me. Keep my soul. Keep my inner life safe. Let me not be ashamed. Don't allow the defeat of your plans for my life. I'm trusting you, God. So verse 21, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. God, your integrity, your truth, your uprightness, the fact that you are the perfect God, the God who does everything right. Let these things preserve me. Let these things keep me safe. I'm waiting for you, God, to act on my behalf. And then, as I've mentioned already, the last verse doesn't fit in the alphabetical structure. David's finished his prayers for himself, but he has one more prayer. As the king of Israel, he cares so much about his nation. He has troubles, David has troubles, but how great are the troubles of Israel, God's nation and David's nation. Redeem Israel, O God, he prays. Rescue Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And with that prayer, for all of Israel's people, for all of God's people, David brings an end to this psalm. Please write to me. My email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. I've heard from people in three continents who listen to this podcast, in Europe, in Asia, and in Africa. Wouldn't it be wonderful to hear from you too? My email address, 333kjv at gmail.com. Now let me read you the whole of Psalm 25, a psalm of David. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed, let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Shew me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions, According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. 
For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will shew them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. O keep my soul, and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles.